Hello and welcome back to Euractiv's Beyond the Byline podcast. I am Evikiori and I hope you had a wonderful summer break and you're returning to normality refreshed. And speaking of refreshed, we have decided to rename the podcast to give a better indication of what we want to do with it. So from now on, the familiar to you yellow room will be the Beyond the Byline podcast. If you are already subscribed, keep listening on this feed and if not, subscribe to it. Now, many things happened this summer, and the one that holds the attention globally is Afghanistan. The last American troops flew out of Afghanistan on Monday, with the country again under the control of the Taliban, a fundamentalist group that ruled the nation for five years before US-led forces ousted them in 2001. Now, citizens and even the country's president have fled the country with the US and the EU fearing a new migration crisis. So this week, we are focusing on the security conference organized by Austria with the Central Asian states to discuss the further strategy in Afghanistan. Austria is asking Afghanistan's neighboring countries to manage manage migration flows and prevent a potential migration crisis. To grasp on the latest developments on the matter, I am joined today by Oliver Neuen from Euractive Germany. So, Oliver... Austria's Interior and Foreign Ministry hosted a security conference with the Central Asian states and other EU countries on the potential migration crisis. Could you tell us a bit more on how that conference went? The meeting was held on Monday. It was initiated by um, the Austrian Interior and Foreign Minister and also co-hosted with the Danish and Greek um, migration ministers and the state secretary of the interior minister of Germany. And um, the main aim of, the, of this meeting was to um, reach out to the Central Asian states that are neighboring Afghanistan and um, try to, to figure out how to collaborate with them um, the best way to secure the region and to ensure that um, the refugees that arrive in those countries will be treated well and that and they also proposed assistance in certain areas like um, terrorism, um, border protection, those kind of things. The main rationale behind it, actually, from an Austrian perspective, is to ensure that um, an other migration crisis like in 2015 won't happen again. Because like in Austrian discourse, is really like a big thing and it's also like one of the main um, reasons that Chancellor Kurz in Austria is, is so popular because he is always celebrated as the hero who kind of ended the migration crisis. So um, for that, Austria really wants to ensure that the region has stability and that there are no refugees coming to Austria and Europe as a whole, of course. And what are the above countries proposing if not admitting the Afghan refugees? The um, kind of perspective they have is like, we secure the region, we make the region secure. So they actually want to copy the, the, the treaty they have with Turkey on migration and implement it in those regions. That, that means, at least at the moment, um, that they are trying to ensure that, that migrants, refugees will stay in the area, yet that they might implement some um, sort of resettlement agreement. Yet this is not um, completely sure yet because countries like, especially Austria, um, already said that they completely refuse to, to admit any refugees from Afghanistan. And as you mentioned, Oliver, on Tuesday, there was an emergency meeting on the matter. So what was decided or was there any uh, progress made? They haven't reached 
um, a full conclusion on how to deal with everything. But the, the proposal on the table now at the moment is to um, kind of copy the, the, the agreement they have with Turkey. And However, there is, there is a huge controversy at the moment because the foreign minister of Luxembourg, for instance, he was harshly criticizing Austria for their hard stance. And the main question is, if, if there is a resettlement program, will Europe admit refugees and fly them in from, from those Central Asian states? Um, will there be um, allocation quotas or how will that work exactly? And, and that's I'm completely up in the open at the moment. That's, that's not sure yet. And on the one hand, we have the U.S. trying to restore the peace after the U.S. troops left Afghanistan. And on the other hand, we have the EU countries that are not very keen on admitting refugees. So how are things on this front? Do you think that the different approach on this matter will cause a clash between the U.S. and the EU? So far, if we look like at the um, refugees that were actually admitted, then the U.S. is by far number one. So they they um, they flew flew out a lot a lot of Afghan refugees. Like in comparison to to what they did, like the numbers of people Germany flew out are um, almost nothing. And we will see how how this will develop. I think it's still too early to to say. It's also unclear how much Biden will actually press for um, the admittance of refugees, or if it's more something that he's doing at the moment, and then it's it's becoming like a side topic in a few months or something. He won't pressure his European allies to admit refugees. But in general, like, I feel that the U.S. is always pretty hesitant when it comes to um, pressuring other countries and admitting refugees because the U.S. will be always pushing to, like, for, for military interaction. They're really good at pushing their European allies on this direction. But when it comes to refugee admittance, at least, um, in my opinion, nothing comes to mind where they actually did something like that. And in terms of human rights violations, do we have any reactions or even better action on that? Because, as you mentioned, the proposed solution is to adopt the same agreement EU has with Turkey. How can they ensure that human rights won't be violated? That was is one, from my perspective, one of the major problems that, that we have in there. Because, like, how do you ensure that those countries, especially in Central Asia, they're not exactly known for for being um, democratic states and and treating the refugees well? How do we ensure that those countries will actually keep keep their part of the deal and do not violate human rights? And I think that this will be one of the the main problems so far. Of course, we have reactions, like especially from from. Um, NGOs like Amnesty International, for instance, um, called for a solution that is in line with human rights and and for a huge resettlement program to Europe and so on. But um, in the eye of realpolitik, I think it's pretty unlikely that something like this will happen. And we've already seen in Turkey, I mean, that there are reports in Turkey for a long time that there are human rights violations, yet there wasn't anything done really about it. So I had an um, interview with one of the representatives of Amnesty International, and she told me that these policies of externalization of problems, and she was referring to, to Afghanistan, um, is really a big problem and, and will crea- create problems for human rights. But, I mean, I don't think that that's, um, the, especially countries like Austria or Hungary or Greece will divert from their current position. You can find your actives beyond the byline podcast in our brand new podcast newsletter. You can subscribe to it on youractive.com/newsletters.
And if you want to expand your knowledge on other EU policy fields, you can listen to our Digital Brief podcast and AgriFood Brief podcast. Now moving on a different topic and a different city, Paris, where the mayor Anne Hidalgo promised that Parisians will be able to swim in the Seine and the river will even be able to host Olympic events such as the triathlon and the 10km freestyle. To hear more on this story, I spoke with Clara Bauer-Buffer from Iraq de France. Clara, is it true that organizations in Paris are working on making swimming in the Seine possible? How will they achieve it? And do they have the means and the infrastructure for it? So yes, Evie, organizations and companies in Paris are working on making swimming in the Seine possible. Uh, one of them, the Digital Water City, is designing a boy called Alert, which looks like of a floating mini laboratory. And the boy evaluates the level of bacteria present in the Seine and the river in real time. So they do have the means and the infrastructure, but is it enough to keep the Seine safe for swimming? This is not sure. Now, we need to take into consideration the health concerns. What is the plan on that respect? How can they uh, define the quality of the waters? Are they planning to use chemicals? So the main concern about swimming in the Seine, of course, is about health. And this is why it is forbidden to swim in the Seine since 1923. Uh, to try and control the quality of the river, the water of the Seine is very often analyzed by scientists, especially in Paris, because this is where the river is the most polluted. But it is very hard to keep it clean because of pollution, rats, waste, food. Um, so far, the only thing they do is that they analyze uh, bacteria in the Seine and they try to see if uh, this kind of bacteria are um, possible or for humans uh, when they swim in the Seine. Uh, but they don't put any kind of chemical products Uh, so far, I mean, today, maybe it's going to be one of the solutions for 2024, but so far, and there is no kind of chemical products uh, using the scent to kind of clean it. Uh-huh. And what is the public's reaction to this news? From a political point of view, the mayor of Paris, Anne Hidalgo, recently made uh, a promise. She said that Parisians and athletes could swim in the Seine for the Paris Olympics Games in 2024. Uh, but this is kind of funny because according to an IFOP survey, 70% of French people have a bad feeling about the Seine and only 10% of them would be okay to swim in it. And now on the environmental side of the story, how is this going to impact the environment and what are the concerns there? Yes, for sure. Uh, that would have a strong impact on the environment in Paris and in the Paris River. Uh, but I think this is one of the main reasons why so far they have never used any kind of chemical products uh, to try and clean the sand. The main impact would be on biodiversity, because even if the sand is a river uh, in a big city, there are a lot of plants, a lot of fish species as well, and more uh, in the river. So um, that would be the main concern uh, from the environmental side. Swimming in the river could have a real bad impact on biodiversity. I am Evie Chiori and this was your Actives Beyond the Byline podcast. We will be back on your feed next week. Until then, subscribe to our podcast newsletter and visit youractive.com for the latest news. And don't forget to listen to this podcast on your favorite podcast app. Thank you very much for listening.